about how in marriages and in our families, oftentimes there is an elephant in the room, something that we don't talk about, but it's there. And its presence affects everything else that's going on in that family. So the final elephant that we're looking at in this series is the elephant of rest, of rest. Before we read scripture, I want to share this. Bonnie and I have been Oklahomans for, what, 15 months, 16 months, something like that. Before that, and still, we're Texans, because if you're a Texan, you're always a Texan. Yeah, I don't expect many of you to get excited about that, but the Texans, we understand, okay? Um, after that, we were in Pennsylvania for nine years and never felt like Pennsylvanians. I actually feel like an Oklahoman now. But now we've been in Owasso for, let's say, 15 months, and we've made particular observations about the Owasso-Tulsa area. And mind you, we lived an hour from Philadelphia and an hour and a half from New York City. And we spent a lot of time in both of those locations. Um, one of the observations, and really the most, one of the most striking observations about coming to a place like Owasso, which is a suburb, is that people here are very busy. And I say that compared to people that we knew from Philadelphia and from New York. People here are very busy. And I believe it's important for us to talk about rest this morning. So we'll be looking at something from the gospel according to Mark. If you would stand. As we read God's word for Mark, beginning in chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, he, that is Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their, hard, at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. 
He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may sit. I'm going to share a little bit about my own story here, thinking about Sabbath and thinking about rest. And it really started mm, 10 years ago in my previous calling. Previously, I was in campus ministry. I was a pastor uh, for a group called uh, Reformed University Fellowship. Some of you know RUF very well. Others, maybe not so much. RUF is the campus ministry of the denomination of which Trinity is a part of, the PCA. REF is kind of a unique ministry in many different ways. One thing that makes it unique is that they send ordained pastors to the, to the colleges to do ministry there. And so I did RUF for nine years. And RUF is a very interesting job in terms of schedule. Probably starting the beginning of August, you're working to ramp up to school starting. And then uh, from, let's say, mid-August to the third week of September, it's not, I mean, it's pretty reasonable to work about 90 hours a week. And then for the remainder of the semester, pretty reasonable to work 65, 70 hours a week. And then that's a lot, right? Okay, I just want to make sure that we're tracking on the same page because some people are looking at me like, okay, that's no big deal. No, that's a lot of work. And then we go to staff training in December, and then it's pretty reasonable during December to maybe work five hours a week, 10 hours a week, something like that. And school starts up, and then in the spring, pretty regularly, 65, 70 hours a week. And then you do summer conference, and after summer conference, pretty pretty reasonable to work about no hours a week for a little while and then maybe about five hours a week and then kind of start the whole thing over you can imagine some of that the summers are pretty relaxed some of that's necessary because there's only so long that you can work 70 hours a week and then stay alive um or 90 hours a week and you know we had jokes among our, you know, among the different REF pastors kind of across the United States, whenever there would be a break, everyone would get sick, like all the campus pastors would. So fall break, because you've been going and going and going, and then you stop and you get sick. Going and going and going, and almost everyone's sick over Thanksgiving, right? And then going and going and going, and you're sick for two weeks in May when no one else is sick, but you're sick because your body is so run down. So my interaction and my beginning to think about rest came in this way. My first year, the first summer, we were very, very busy doing fundraising. The second summer wasn't so busy because our fundraising was pretty decent. We had enough money. And so, um, so I, quite frankly, I mean, we hung out at the pool uh, we had a nice vacation, and I was talking to a man in our church at the time who just happened to be a very well-known surgeon on the East Coast, 
He goes, oh, so he goes, I've been doing this and this and this cool procedure. He goes, what have you been doing this summer? I said, oh, I haven't really been doing anything, right? I've been at the pool. I said, oh, you know, well, fundraising never stops, and I've been thinking about, you know, what we're going to be doing in the fall, and, you know, I'm hemming it on, like I'm trying to justify myself before an imminent surgeon, and it's just not going well, but I'm, I'm trying to do it because I don't want to seem lazy, right? Um, and I had an older brother in RUF hear this story of mine, and he, he challenged me. He goes, Scott, okay, one, you don't want to be a liar, but two, you're not resting in the fact that Jesus has justified you and given you a particular calling. And you work a lot during the year, and I'm telling you, if you don't rest during the summer, you will burn out and maybe blow up your family. So, okay. He goes, so you've got to tell the truth. And he goes, and people aren't, people won't understand, and it doesn't matter what they think of you. Jesus loves you when you're at the pool. He does. If you learn anything else this morning... Learn this. Jesus loves you at the pool. Okay? Next summer rolls around. Same surgeon. Having a conversation with him. And he's talking about, oh, you know, I've been doing this surgery and this surgery and all this. You know, he's like, I'm saving lives. I'm saving lives. He's not really saying that. I'm hearing that. But I know the question is coming. He's going to ask me, what have you been doing? I go, oh, Jesus, please help me rest in you. And he goes, so what does your summer look like? And I didn't hem and haw. I didn't say, well, I've been working 65, 70 hours a week for the last 15 weeks. I didn't say any of that. I said, well, I cleaned out the garage. And we've been hanging out at the community pool. That's about it. And he goes, kind of looks at me. And I go, that's it. He goes, so you haven't been doing RUF stuff? And I said, thankfully, no. I've just been hanging out at the pool. He goes, okay. And then we both awkwardly walked away from each other. And that was that. Um, Rest is important, vitally important. Uh, most of us are in a situation where we feel like one of those, you know, one of those plates, like we're spinning plates on every finger and every toe, like trying to keep all the plates spinning without letting one fall. And it's stressful. Have you ever seen someone do that? Like it's stressful watching that person. Some of us are like ducks. You know, a duck, he's just going on water. And if you look at the top of the duck, like he's calm, cool, and collected, right? You know what's going on under the water? Furiousness, right? Like we are spinning plates and everything, but we don't want to let anyone else see that because it might put off the wrong image. What does the Bible say about rest? That's what today's passage is actually about. It's about rest. 
To understand rest, it's important that we actually go to the Ten Commandments, okay? If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to that. There are two places, I don't know if you know this, there are two places in the Old Testament where the Ten Commandments are written. And they're exactly the same in every commandment except the one regarding Sabbath rest. And they're different there. They're different there. I want to read you first from Exodus 20. The commandment about the Sabbath days begins in verse 8. I want you to listen. The commandment is this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. Okay? And then this is the only commandment really that gets a reason. Why should I not work on the Sabbath, Lord? And he says in verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea, and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the reason that we're given here is that we are to take rest, the Sabbath rest, is because God himself rested. Now, God doesn't grow tired. Of course, he rested as, um, as a paradigm for us. God created everything. And on the last day, he took a break. And didn't create anything. That's the reason given in Exodus. Now, if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where the Ten Commandments happen again, Deuteronomy 5, starting in verse 12, you have the commandment. It says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Okay. And then you shouldn't work, anyone in your household, yada, yada. Then down in verse 15, why should we do the Sabbath? This is where it differs. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Did you hear the difference? In Exodus, the reason you were to keep the Sabbath is because when God created everything, he rested on the seventh day. But in Deuteronomy, why are you to keep the Sabbath? Because, not because of creation, but because God, the Lord your God, led you out of slavery. I redeemed you. So really, if we look at the Ten Commandments and both of these things, and by the way, the Sabbath was instituted at creation, before there was a Moses. This is a guiding principle, even in the New Testament, okay? In both of these things, what you see is rest. In the Exodus account, it is rest because you've been at work all week and your body needs rest. In Deuteronomy, it's you've been working all week and your soul needs rest. You need to worship because I saved you and I redeemed you. Do you see that? They're the, the two hands of this. The intent of the Sabbath is to rest in body and in soul. So to promote healing in our bodies and to promote healing in our souls. Now, what does the Sabbath have to do with us resting, right? What does it have to do 
with just general rest. Some of us take, maybe even like after they get home from work, take a brief nap. Some of us may take a nap at work. That has never happened at Trinity House, ever. The thing about the Sabbath is, is that you do it every week. Every week. There is no week in which it does not exist. It's not the second Tuesday after the first Monday every four years or something like that. It happens every single week. And so what it establishes in us is a particular pattern or rhythm of rest for our bodies and for our souls. And so when we think about rest in general, I think we ought to, we ought to think of it as patterned after the Sabbath. The Sabbath is planned, right? It doesn't happen by accident. No one, no one woke up this morning and, and went, okay, I'm going about my day. I'm like, oh, this is, happens to be church day today. No, you knew this was going to be a church day in 1927. It's on the calendar, right? You didn't know it was going to be in a gym, in a wasso, but you knew. So we ought to think about rest in a very similar way to the Sabbath. It's particular. It's planned. It's to promote the healing of our bodies and the healing of our souls. So with that kind of as the backdrop of what's going on in this passage in Mark, we see this being a big deal. Most in modern America, we're not, we don't have Sabbath lenses. You know, there's almost no more blue laws anymore. Stores are open, we go shopping, we do work, and not even just like emergency work, like police and hospital. Like some of us have to work on Sundays. That wasn't the case at the time. The Sabbath was, was a big deal. It was very important to God himself. Okay, so I want to start point two in your sermon outline here is, why don't we rest? There was clearly a culture of rest in Jesus' day. I want to ask the question, why don't we rest? I'll give you three potential reasons. The first reason is, you're trying to meet an elusive standard. That standard can either be, met, be from someone else, or it can be from yourself, but you're trying to meet an elusive standard. So it kind of goes like this. You know, I have to do X so that Y can happen, and if Y doesn't happen, then I failed, and I'm a failure. So I don't want to fail, so I don't have time to rest. X, has to, X must happen at all costs. Because if it doesn't happen, then I failed. And that says something about me. You can, you can see this sort of thinking in chapter 2, 24, and 28 here. It says, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So they're saying, hey, they have failed by working. It was so important to rest this is just like the Pharisees. Um, you know, the Pharisees' attempt to keep the Sabbath, I find it strange because it's actually work. 
they created all sorts of laws that are not in Scripture. Like you can't walk so many feet without it being work. You can't, if you're hungry, like in this case, you can't pick the grains and eat them. And they had a lot of laws. So to me, that seems like a lot of work to find out how to rest, right? But you, those of you who overwork because you're trying to meet a particular standard, what happens when you fail to meet the standard? What happens when you fail? You feel inadequate. You feel inadequate. You know, what I do is never enough. Stay-at-home moms, this is your laundry. Right? Laundry keeps coming. And as your kids get bigger, you know what? The laundry gets bigger because their pants are bigger and their shirts are bigger. And then they get to be teenagers. And not only is it bigger, it stinks now. Something terrible. What do you think the movie The Blob was fashioned after? It was fashioned after laundry. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger until it engulfs the whole house. But laundry is one of those things that you do it and there's still more to do. You know, there's, there's particular types of work where that's the case. You do it and you kill yourself doing it and you feel inadequate. You're trying to meet a standard, whatever that standard is. And what does it produce in you? You feel overwhelmed, overworked, and underfulfilled. Overwhelmed, overworked, and underfulfilled. What's another reason that we avoid rest? I believe in some of us it's to satiate loneliness. To satiate loneliness. Another observation as an outsider of Owasso is a lot of people are really lonely. The way that the town, I believe, is kind of built as a suburb. This is the first time my wife and I have ever lived in a suburb. We lived in a very big city. We lived in a city in which the houses are smushed together and everyone knows their neighbors because everyone hangs out on the front porch and we shovel snow together and do all sorts of things like that. And Wausau is a suburb where you, quite frankly, you can go without seeing your neighbors for weeks. You don't even know if they're alive, right? And a lot of people are lonely. Sometimes we don't rest because we're just so lonely. You know what happens when you rest and you're lonely? You are bombarded by the fact that you're lonely. It is at your front door. You know, so here's how the, here's how the mindset goes. I'm lonely. I really want to be known and loved. And that's not happening right now. So to appease this unpleasantness, I'm going to distract myself with even more work. By work, do not hear occupation. We are not merely talking about what you do to earn money. I'm going to distract myself with even more work. Because if I were to try to rest, my loneliness 
would persecute me. I don't want that, so I avoid rest. Okay, what happens when this is the case? When you, when you never stop because you fear loneliness, you get lonelier and you work harder. You get lonelier and you work harder. Um, and there's all sorts of ways that we can try to satiate that. Whether they're talking about drinking or drugs or all sorts of other things that just to try to make it go away. But those are just symptoms because we don't know how to rest well. So what's another reason that we avoid rest? And I think this is a majority of us. Because work validates our existence. Because it validates our existence. I must work in order to prove to myself and others that my life means something important, that my existence is critical, and if I rest, I will not be validated. This is, this is the Scott problem from early RUF, right? I know how many hours I'd worked that year. It was more than any I'd ever worked in engineering. However, in that moment, speaking to that surgeon, I wanted my work to validate me. I am, I am worth something, not because of what Jesus has done, but because of my work. And a lot of us feel this way. We feel that we have to show the hours, show what we've done with the house, do the work here, there, and the other in order to validate ourselves to ourselves or to others. You can see in Mark here, chapter 3, verse 2, this is the thinking of the Pharisees. The Pharisees' existence, they validated what they did. They kept the law, and then their, their judgment of others was then validated. Mark 3, 2 says, And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. These are people who have worked to keep the Sabbath. That's where their existence is being validated, and they're ready to point the finger at someone who's not. And some of us think that way. Some of us think, I, oh, I have worked. I have worked at my job. I have worked at home. And then we find someone who hasn't, and we go, oh, that lazy bum. And you know who that, you know who that is? That's the Pharisees. Nobody wants to be a Pharisee. You know, in reality, if you're, over, if you're consistently overworking, you are trying to validate your existence to your boss, to your spouse, to yourself, to your neighbors, whatever it may be. So what happens when you're trying to do that? What happens when you try to validate your existence through how many hours you're putting in, through what you're doing? you're forced to work even harder which seems like, for what seems like even more fleeting validation. And when your work fails to validate your existence, your paradigm for identity is crushed. It is 
chapter 3, verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Their identity was such, so deeply ingrained, that they wanted to destroy Jesus. They picked some grains off of the wheat. That's what they did. And it ends with them trying to, wanting to destroy him. You can't know Jesus well if you don't rest yourself. Jesus, in this passage, he calls himself Lord of the Sabbath. You know what that means? King of rest. He is the king of rest. He is the king of rest. So how do we rest? It was in the passage that we read toward the beginning of the service. You can turn there if you'd like. Hebrews 4. And I'm going to read 9 through 11. It's on page 6 if you want it in your bulletin. It says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And then look at this. Very interesting choice of words. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Those are two words that you don't normally see together, right? Strive to enter that rest. No one says, I've never, well, I've never heard anyone say, I'm going to work really hard to veg out in front of the TV. Right? Some of us, let me tell you, I know you work hard to veg out in front of the TV. That's fine. Here it says, strive to enter the rest. That means a type of biblical rest is not done by accident. You don't fall into it. You don't go, oh, how about this? I'm resting. It is planned, it's thought out, and it's executed. If you're not going, I mean, if you're following Old Testament law as a Jew that does have restrictions on the Sabbath, you know what that takes? It takes planning. Because you're not going to be cooking on Sunday. You're not going to be going to the store. You can't go by Walmart. Walmart didn't exist then, but go with me. You're not going to go by Walmart to pick up something. Because that's causing someone else to work on the Sabbath. So it takes planning and execution for this. So how do we rest? What does this mean? First... We rest in Jesus, okay? The Hebrews 4, 1 to 11 passage is showing this. You and I have rested from our bad works. We have rested from our so-called righteousness because now we rest in Jesus. There was no possible way for us to do enough good things to get into God's graces. And if you're in Jesus, you've rested from that mindset. There is nothing I can do, there's nothing that I can't do in order to please you. And so I can rest. I can rest in Jesus, knowing that everything that's ever needed to be done to accomplish my salvation is done. The laundry has stopped. Okay? And for us, it means that we need to rest in our body and we need to rest in our soul. 
we can do that because we have been freed in Jesus to rest. You know, I'd encourage you to think about what this might look like. Both to take, as it were, a Sabbath on Sunday and not do any work. And what that might look like to encourage your spouse and your children to do so. And what it also might look like to put in principles of rest throughout the week. What this might, what this might mean, you may not like. What it might mean is your child doesn't need to be involved in four sports. It may mean, as a family, you are doing too much. It really, it really, really might. Because, imagine this life. where You're always going and always doing stuff, and it's every day, right? Even recreation is work, for those of you who have young kids. Like, you know, taking them to this or taking them to that, that's not recreation for you. It's work. And so imagine for someone lives in your house for 18 years, you're constantly spinning plates, um, trying to look like a duck, you know, furious underwater, everything's cool, calm, and collected up top. In 18 years, what have you taught your child about rest? Nothing good. Right? And yet it's a principle in Scripture that's so important. Jesus himself not only did the Sabbath, there were times where he would break away from his disciples and rest. The man was a carpenter for 30 years, went into public ministry for three years. And that public ministry, he was stealing away times to rest. Some of that looked like just by himself. Some of it looked like prayer, but it was for his body and his soul. Um, we're going to get this wrong. Maybe in general, maybe in specific instances. And one, it's a good thing that we have a Savior who has allowed us to rest from our works. That we can rest in what He has done for us. You know, Augustine, Augustine the church father, he said, you know, thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find the rest in thee. It's kind of a beautiful thing. I want to close with this. Some of you know the author Dallas Willard. If not, I'd, I'd recommend him to you. He's, he's kind of an eccentric fellow. Um, in some ways, like C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is a guy you can love if you're a Reformed Presbyterian or, you know, Armenian Salvation Army or whatever it means. Dallas Willard's kind of like that, um, as, a, as a philosophy guy, not a theologian. Someone once asked him, Professor Willard, if you were to sum up Jesus' ministry on the earth in one word, what would it be? And you know what he said? Relaxed. He has never in a hurry to do anything. He's walking along, getting ready to go to heal Jairus' daughter. A woman touches him, 
because she's been bleeding for 12 years. So like, uh, well, I'll come heal her, talk to her for a little bit, and keep on going. He's never running. When he comes into the temple and he sees them selling and exchanging stuff, you know what he does first? He makes a cat a nine-tails whip. Have you ever seen one of those? He doesn't, you can't make it in a couple minutes. So he comes into the temple going, okay. He sits there and he makes a whip. He's just relaxed. I wonder what our lives would look like if they were more like Jesus is in this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to be able to talk about rest. And we thank you that there's only one place the restless heart can find rest. And that's in our Savior and his finished work on our behalves. Father, help us to run to him and in him find rest. We pray in his name. Amen.